Confused by finances, investing, estate, and retirement planning? Well, I went to school so you don't have to. Welcome to Finances and with Kathy and Jennifer. Welcome to Finances and Trusts. I'm Jennifer and I'm here with Kathy. Today we'll be covering the difference between trust and wills, who needs a trust, and some of the different types of trust you can get. How is your new job going? It's going really well. I started a new job as an instructional designer. What are some of the projects that that person would do? Uh, Well, for instance, this week, one of the things I'm working on is an e-learning, like an online course for pharmacists. And it is being developed in order to help them give the best recommendations to customers when they come in and have questions about the cold and flu. So it's been a fun project to kind of dive into their, the pharmacist high level thinking and put it into a course that's interesting and engaging for them. That sounds cool. So they provide you the information and you come up with the slides or whatever the medium is you're going to project, you know, give it to them in. That's right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So this week we're going to talk about trusts. And just quickly, I want to say, what is a trust versus a will? A will is important if you have children so you can name their guardians. You can also specify what kind of funeral arrangements you would like. And a will goes into effect when you die. A trust, on the other hand, helps you try to plan for a disability, provide some savings for your taxes and your estate, and it goes into effect the minute you create it. You're also going to need some trustees to help manage it, but kind of the difference is the will happens after you die, and most of the trusts are happening while you're alive, and some are after you die. So a revocable living trust is one of the first things we're going to talk about. And that's when you have your assets or your property and it's placed in a trust for your benefits while you're alive. And then it transfers at death to your designated beneficiary. So whoever you choose is who's going to receive the items in your trust through a trustee. And you can choose that trustee yourself, which I recommend you do. So why would you need a trust A will, once you pass away, will have to go through something called probate. And probate is the process where a judge reviews that document to make sure that it's authentic and valid. And then you, as the person who created the will, will have chosen someone to be your executor. And that person is then in charge of administering your will. If no executor is chosen, then the court will choose one for you. So you want to make sure that you're choosing somebody. Again, a lot of this was gone over in the wills podcast. So consider listening to that as well. Using a will for all of your death benefits is an expensive process. It's also one that takes anywhere from six months to 18 months to happen. So the money that's in your estate is going to be used to pay off your debts. And so they're going to have to make sure that those debts are paid before that money is distributed to the people that you've assigned as your beneficiary. There's lots of fees involved in that. That can be anywhere from, I think, four to 6% of your entire estate. You're going to pay attorney fees as well. But for a trust, once you've created the trust and paid for that, there's no additional fees. So Kathy, are you then saying that someone should have one over the other or they should have both? You should have both. Ideally, you'll have both. It is going to depend on how many assets, how much property you have to disperse. I mean, if you have very little, then a will is going to be fine because there's not going to be a lot of 
property that people are going to be arguing over. No, I, I she told me once when I was alive that she would give me, you're not going to have that kind of things if you don't have a lot of property or assets to distribute. But a trust will let you assign it to a certain person and then it's going to that person. It is not something that gets argued over. Okay. So having a will then is only the beginning. It has to be validated once you pass. But without a will, the court will start the proceedings. If you die with no money or property, then this process may not be necessary. But if you do, then this is a very long public process. All income taxes need to be filed and paid. Debts need to be paid to creditors. Your assets, your property, your money all need to be distributed. Your estate taxes are paid based on the fair market value now of your assets, not what the deceased paid. And those estate taxes vary by state. So you're going to pay, depending on the state you're in, how much estate taxes you're going to pay will be varied. Oftentimes, those taxes won't start until you have over a million dollars in assets, but that's not always true. Some are a little bit higher, whatever. You have to check into that with your attorney, right? If you're coming up with a will or a a trust, you're going to be talking to an attorney, but they can let you know about that. Doing all of those things can take over a year. So if you're trying to pay for your child's college with your money, your your child might have to wait almost a year, assuming they're older, not, not young children, but they're going to go to every single court proceeding. And what they really should be doing is spending time mourning you, not going to court constantly to you know, see what this new status is for it. So how does a living trust compare to a will, which is essentially the question that you asked earlier? They can be revocable or changeable or irrevocable, which means it cannot be changed. So a revocable trust avoids probate, which again is what we were just discussing. And it means all the property is transferred immediately to the trust while you're alive so that on your death, it can be distributed to whomever it is you decided should get it. So if I buy a house or or the house I'm currently living in, instead of on the, the title, it won't say owned by Kathy Pfefferhan. It will say owned by the trust of Kathy Pfefferhan or something to that effect. I can also retitle my vehicles as well. The reason for that is if they're in the will, that's part of that delayed process that can take up to a year and a half to get done. And if I want my children to have that money sooner, either that someone's going to move into the house or they can sell it and get that money, they're going to have to wait until probate is over. If it's in the trust then once I pass, that house will go directly to whoever it is that is named in the trust or to the trustee, I should say. And the trustee can then immediately do with it what I need done, which is if I want to sell it and give the money to the kids or have somebody move into it or I don't turn it into a bed and breakfast or something. That's what will happen. The trustee will make sure that those things are happening. The probate is avoided by using a trust, which again is those court fees, which can be up to five to six percent of the whole estate. So, for example, if you're putting your home and your vehicles into your will and they come out to about $100,000, that's about a $5,000 savings because I'm saying at 5%, you're going to pay about $5,000 in probate fee. But once you start having more money in your estate, let's say you have a million dollars for your home and your cars and whatever, vacation homes, whatever, that works out to be $50,000 that goes to the probate costs. If I have them all in a trust, then that trust will tell them who gets it and they avoid all of those costs. It just goes to that person. The trustee just makes sure that that whoever it is I designated gets it. 
Trust also keep all of your financial information out of court because it's not something that is available for the public to see like your will is. You can also create a revocable trust and place your assets like your property into that if those are the directions in your will. The will is still public, but the money and property value will not be public. So for example, if I say that my house and cars are in my trust, and then in my will, I say any additional property will transfer to the trust upon my death. What that additional property is will not be seen. Just that direction of that additional property being transferred over would be available to be seen in my will. But it wouldn't be specific. My boat, I don't know, my favorite figurine, my jewelry, whatever. It it wouldn't be specifically labeled for people to know. If your privacy is important to you, then you want to keep things out of a will and put them into trust because no one can see what's in that trust. So what are some of the benefits of a revocable trust? One benefit would be to plan for a mental disability, if that's something that could potentially happen later in life. This keeps your money out of probate, and you can name someone else to take over the trust if you become mentally incapacitated. The trust maker can also end the trust at any time. The opposite of that is an irrevocable trust, which means you cannot change it. So why would you want an irrevocable trust versus a revocable trust? The irrevocable trust, you would move property or money into that trust if you were trying to make something for your legacy or for generations to come afterwards. So you might say, I'm going to put all of my stock from, I don't know, somewhere into the trust because I want that to grow for my grandchildren to be able to have. So it's something that once I put it in there, I cannot change that. And it's for that next generation. You cannot take that property back out once you've made that decision. But it also helps with tax benefits by making trust the one that cannot be changed. Because once I've removed that money irrevocably out of my estate and into the trust, I'm not going to be taxed on that because it's not my property anymore. On my income tax, for example, if, if they're looking at how much money you're making on those stocks, once I put it in a trust that's irrevocable, it's not mine. I'm not going to make money on it. I can't sell it. I can't change the trust. So it's not my property. And that gives me a tax benefit. And of course, then sets my family up for having finances available to them. And it could be to any generation that I that I choose. A side note to what an irrevocable trust is, is that you could also use this with a lawyer's help to gain a, the ability to get Medicaid. So if you are close to being able to get on Medicaid, which it means that you are in need of some public assistance, then to get on Medicaid, if you you have to have $2,000 or less to your name, unless it's a house, you can still own your house. You need to spend down to that $2,000 before you can get on Medicaid. Obviously, that's not a lot of money. So one of the things that a lawyer can help you do is set up an irrevocable trust for whatever assets you have if you have something left at that point, and you can put it in that trust and you can not count that as the money that you have, it would take you less time to say that I'm closer to that $2,000. And so then you've spent down to that $2,000 and you could apply to receive Medicaid. And again, there's a, there's a podcast we did on Medicaid. So if you need more information about that, definitely we would go into that. So the other thing that a trust in general does is it discourages your heirs from contesting their share of the property. So in a will, I could say, hey, I think I'm supposed to get more money than that. And that's part of when probate gets dragged out because people can contest it. But since a trust is private 
and there's no notice, there's no an announcement of how property is being distributed, it's not available to the public, there is no possible way for your heirs to argue about it. It was in the trust. It said to do this with it. It went to that person. It is now that person's. They don't have any real recourse to be able to go back and say, hey, wait, I was supposed to get some of that. So again, if you're trying to eliminate some back and forth, if you think there's some possibility of that kind of a problem, a trust would help you eliminate some of that. Yeah. And we all know that nobody wants to have to deal with that situation if you're looking out for for your family in that way. Any taxes that you're going to pay for your estate will come out of your trust. Again, it's not it's money that's already in that trust that can be used for it. You don't have to as the person receiving it, you don't have to come up with money to, to pay estate taxes. So to create a trust properly, you're going to retitle your property into the name of the trust so that instead of being owned by, say, Jennifer and Matthew, it's now going to be owned by the trust of Jennifer and Matthew. There is a cost. You will have to contact a lawyer to do this, but that cost is going to be the cost of an attorney and them and them creating these this paperwork. Unlike when you go to probate with your will, you're going to be paying for possibly the attorney at that point, but also all probate costs, the the court costs. And if you haven't properly assigned people jobs like to be your your executor, then you're going to have to pay to have somebody else do that as well. So it's important to put your property into the trust if that's something that you want to try to avoid taxes on as well. Like a will, you need to carefully choose your trustee for your trust. They need to be able to carefully manage your investments. They need to be diplomatic with the beneficiaries, and they need to be able to handle complex financial transactions. So you can hire someone for this. You can hire a corporate trustee or a lawyer, even an investment banker to avoid putting a family member in that position. Or you could do co-trustees and have a family member and a professional so that you know the decisions will be equitable. Honestly, it's going to be hard in most families to find somebody who's going to be able to manage the investments, be diplomatic with all of the family members if they're unhappy about something and do all these financial transactions. And I think if you're using both a family member and a professional, then it helps take some of the emotion out of it. That's the that's the easiest way to say it, I guess. There are also two additional special trusts. One is called a special needs trust, and it's for a differently abled person. And it's a benefit so that they can still receive supplemental Social Security and still receive their Medicaid benefits. So again, somebody who might need to receive Medicaid and the supplemental Social Security how that money is given to them is important so that it doesn't affect their ability to collect on Medicaid and supplemental Social Security. There's also a spendthrift trust. That's to safeguard your trust from a beneficiary who maybe is not financially responsible. I'm sure trying to think of somebody in your family, possibly. (laughs) And or to help uh, safeguard against your inheritance going to the divorced spouse of a family member. So just the way that those trusts are written, it means that you can keep your money in the family, especially if somebody is no longer a member of your family or maybe isn't the greatest handler of their own money. You don't want to be giving them a great deal of money and assume all of a sudden they'll be great at handling money. Right. So if I don't like my son's wife and anticipate her trying to take the money or anticipate them getting a divorce... I can write in my trust 
that it will only go to my son in the event of a divorce? I think one of the ways that happens, if I'm not mistaken, is that you give out that money in the trust in increments. So maybe if you have a 12-year-old son right now, you have upon your death a quarter of the trust when they turn 18. So they could use that maybe towards a, a school or some kind of a program. And then when they turn 27, they get another quarter so that maybe they could purchase a house because at that time they might be ready to buy a house. And then when they turn 35, they get another quarter or the rest of it or something. And in that way, if they married young and then divorced, they're not losing any portion of that trust. They're going to have to wait till they hit a certain age to get the rest of the trust. And I think that's the way they handle it. So you're giving it out incrementally so that it's not all available for a divorce situation. Yeah, that makes sense. Anything else? I think that's about it. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Finances and Trusts. We know you chose to listen and we're grateful. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share and consider leaving us a review because it helps us bring financial education to others. Let us also know if you have any questions that you'd like answered on our Facebook page at Finances and or by going to our website at financesand.net. You can now find infographics on all these topics on our website and in these show notes as well. Finances and does not provide tax or legal advice and nothing in this podcast is to be construed as such. Always consult a tax, accounting or legal professional for advice to your specific situation. Remember, I went to school so you don't have to.